0: this morning we are looking at uh, relationships. And relationships are a huge part of our lives, aren't they? Whether it's um, family, whether it's work, whether it's friendships, uh, we do life in relationships and through relationships with one another. And this is where Paul kind of picks up in his letter to uh, the Ephesians. You'll remember hopefully two weeks ago we looked at uh, the behavior of a Christian, as we kind of come into this uh, practical half of the letter of Ephesians, and we looked at the behavior of the church, that our behavior changes because of who we are, not in order to become who we are. Right? Do you remember, you were once darkness, but now you are light, therefore live as children of the light. And so what Paul does next is he moves from uh, the behavior of the individual to look at our re- relationships. And most specifically, Paul looks at uh, his order for the household and for the workplace. So we're in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 6, verse 9. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into it, because we've got a lot to look at um, this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you are our God. We thank you for the way that you have created us and that you have created us uh, to be in community with one another. We thank you for uh, the gift of marriage, for children, uh, and for the workplace. Father, I really pray this morning that you would give me wisdom as I speak, that you give me clarity, uh, sensitivity, help me to be faithful to your word, and I pray that uh, as a family that we would be really open to hear from your word this morning. Help us not to have hearts that are defensive or are quick to put up walls, but to humbly come before your word and seek to know what you have to say and how you have designed us to relate to one another. So I pray that you would just bless our time and that you would be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to begin with just a little bit of a a disclaimer uh, to start with. I'm not up here this morning speaking on marriage and work. Uh, and parenting, because my marriage is amazing and my parenting is just... Uh, this isn't me giving a whole bunch of wisdom and kind of tips that I've uh, come up with. Really what I want to do this morning is come to God's text with you together, shoulder by shoulder, and lovingly look at what God's Word says about relationships. So, not up here because of my wisdom and my greatness, uh, We're wanting to hear God on this matter. What these verses are about in in chapter 5, 21 to 6, 9, they're about God's good order. And and it's God's good order where Jesus is the example to all. For marriage, for parenting, uh, for the workplace, or in the text it's it's looking at um, slaves and masters, and we'll, we'll kind of get to that. But Jesus is the example for all of the roles that Paul sets out here. And as I was working on this text uh, this week, what really struck me was the fact that Jesus is the model to us in our roles and relationships, but He's also the motivation. So we, we live within our roles in the workplace and in parenting to honor Jesus, but also it is modeled on Jesus. As well as that, in God's good order... We have equality with difference. So we have equality of human beings, but difference in roles, and those two can work together well. This passage is particularly well known for its section on uh, marriage, but I want us to remember that this isn't kind of little, a little uh, comment from Paul on marriage, that as he's been kind of writing through Ephesians, he does this little thing on marriage and then keeps going. We need to see this in the context of the other roles, Paul speaks on marriage with a similar thread to speaking on parenting and a similar thread to speaking on uh, the workplace. And what kind of connects all of them is this idea of submission. So have a look with me uh, in verse 21 as Paul kind of kicks off and he sort of introduces this idea of submission. In verse 21 he says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the underlying theme of what we're looking at this morning. Submit to one another. The idea is is to have an attitude and a heart that seeks to serve one another in in humility. And I think it's it's worth knowing that we're called to submit before we're called to our role. So, before I'm a father and a husband and, and to function in those roles, I'm first called to submit to all people in my relationships uh, within the church. And why? Well, Paul says, out of reverence to Jesus. We submit to one another to honor Jesus. One writer put it really well. He said, Submission is a humble recognition of the divine order of society and the household. And Jesus is at the center of this passage. And it's kind of revolutionized my thinking on this passage as I've worked on it to see that he is the focus all the way through. And I think it helps us to understand uh, how, it work, how this works out for us in our different relationships um, and how we can grow to see the beauty within the different roles in the family and society. So we're going to be looking at uh, marriage. We're going to be looking at parenting and the workplace. We're probably going to spend more time on marriage than the other two. And it's really just because Paul gives more space in the text to marriage. Um, than parents in the workplace. So we're going to get into it. Marriage. Can we agree that marriage is broken? Right? Marriage has been affected by the fall, right? And one of the, the main reasons that marriage is broken is because it's made up of two people who are sinners. Right? Whether they're saved or not, they still have a sinful heart. Right? A sinful nature. Therefore, the roles in marriage are broken because the people are broken. But I want us to, to kind of begin by realizing something really interesting. The roles within marriage were not a result of the fall. So Adam and Eve didn't sin, and then the roles within marriage began. Now, I think they were there before the fall, and we, we don't have time to kind of really dig into it. But I, if you even look at Genesis 1-3... <clears> to <throat> and you look at how God relates to Adam and Eve, and then you look at how Satan relates to Eve and Adam, I think you're seeing an order of relating there that God sets up from the very beginning. But sin has destroyed and distorted marriage, and particularly the roles within marriage. And one of the big distortions is the idea that difference in role means difference in identity and value. So if there's difference in role, then there's difference in value, right, or identity. But that is a distortion. The Bible does not hold that anywhere, and we're going to see that this morning. We are more than the roles that we play, right? We are first image bearers of God, then we are husbands, then we are children, then we are slaves or masters. And so I think rather than kind of throwing out marriage and throwing out marriage roles because of maybe our experiences of maybe our own relationships or what we've seen around us, or maybe throwing them out because of the cultural clash that we see and we experience, or just because they're broken because of sin, I think we need to redeem marriage. And we need to redeem marriage roles. Why? Look down with me to verse 31. Verse 31 to verse 33. Paul says, quoting from Genesis, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband see, marriage is not an end to itself, right? Marriage points to something. And what Paul says here is that actually marriage was created to point towards Jesus and the church. And the great mystery of a husband and a wife becoming one in flesh is that it points towards Jesus Christ and his church being united through his death and resurrection. Union with Christ. Marriage was never meant to be an ends in itself. It was meant to point to something greater. And so we had to model our marriage on that greater example. So what that means is, for as long as God intends for marriage to be a big arrow pointing to Jesus and the church, we must redeem marriage roles. I'm going to say that again because I think it's really important. For as long as God intends for marriage to be a big arrow pointing to Jesus and the church, we must redeem marriage roles roles. So, let's get into it. Verse 22 to 24, Paul begins uh, with talking to wives. Have a look with me. Verse 22 to 24, Paul says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body. Of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So, the call to wives in this passage is wives are to submit to their own husbands. And when we speak of submit, I think we're talking about a voluntary, free, joyful, and thankful partnership with her husband. Rather than an unthinking obedience, it's a grateful acceptance of his care. I think that last phrase is particularly important. A grateful acceptance of his care. Just store that one away, because I think when we come to look at the roles of the husbands, that's going to be fleshed out a little bit more on what that looks like. But secondly, what's the goal of the wife's role? And this is kind of... I've tried my hardest to put this this, this statement together. The goal of the wife, I think, in, in fulfilling her role is that through a wife fulfilling her role, the goal is that the husband would develop and be spurred on by the wife to fulfill his role as the loving, responsible head of the family. Now, let's just be really honest. This is an extremely unpopular thing to say. This is an extremely unpopular passage to be preaching on and to interpret this way, right? This is completely opposite to the culture that we live in. Many would see this as extremely controversial, as really offensive. And so it's important that we do the hard work and the text to work out what is Paul saying here? What does he mean here? How does this kind of work out? But we at some point have to come to a point where we make a decision are we going to be driven by culture on this topic or are we going to be driven by Jesus Christ? Because I think as long as we live in this world, it's going to feel a bit odd. While we live in broken and sinful marriages, this is never going to be able to be played out in its ideal. Because I think at some point we have to come to the decision are we going to be driven by Christ on this or by culture? And I think what Paul is saying here, because in the time that Paul was writing this, right, marriage was as messy as it is now. And I think what Paul is saying is that culture needs Jesus in general, but particularly on this topic. Well, Paul, in the the, the rest of those verses, in uh, verse 23 and 4, Paul unpacks two reasons why wives uh, are to submit to their husbands. We're going to have a bit of a look at that really quickly now. Firstly, in verse 23, uh, wives are to submit to their husbands because the husband is the head of the family and of the wife. That is that the husband has responsibility and authority in leading the family. And it's important to note that in all the uses of the word submit throughout this entire passage, they are paired with the words uh, in the Lord. Or or here it says, uh, submit to your husbands as, as you do to the Lord. Something like that. And I think what Paul is getting at here is that authority is given by God. Authority is given by God. And so submitting to Jesus means that we submit to his delegated authority. And so I think what Paul is saying here is that, wives, as you submit to your husbands, you are submitting to Jesus. But what this doesn't mean is unconditional obedience. You see, the call is to submit within the contents of God-given authority, right? Delegated authority by God. And so it's a very different story when the authority is exercised beyond God's boundaries. So when authority is misused, we don't submit. We refuse. When authority is misused, we don't submit. We refuse. But this is the exception. It's not meant to be the norm. This is the exception. What does this kind of look like practically? We're going to get into it a little bit more just in a sec. But in submitting, because the husband is the head, I think what we're talking about here is a heart attitude, a state of 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 the heart. It's supporting and helping and affirming. It's been the word of wisdom, discussing, disagreeing, right? It's it's a partnership. And the opposite, I think, to what Paul is talking about here is uh, dominating and bulldozing. That's the opposite to what Paul is getting at here as he talks about submission. Secondly, Paul says, wives are to submit to their husbands because the church submits to their head Jesus. This is in verses 23 and 24 as well. You see, we as the church, right, we accept and we welcome The loving care and leadership of Jesus, don't we? I mean, as a church, don't we just love that Jesus is our king? That he loves us, that he cares for us, that he's responsible for us. That he is with us, that he is for us. And we don't function as kind of silent servants, right? But we are called to partner with Jesus in the gospel. Now, there's different roles in that, right? And we know how that works. But we we have a role to play, and we get to partner with Jesus in seeing the gospel go out. We're free to discuss and disagree and question, but all of this is done within the assurance that Jesus is with us, that Jesus is for us, and that He has responsibility over us as His bride, the church. Jesus as the bridegroom. And so the church's relationship with Jesus is really the example here Wise. And as I've been thinking through uh, this, this sermon, which has taken a lot of thinking through, uh, I really wanted to have some really practical examples. And so what I've done is asked Jackie Cook, if she's happy, to um, come on up and really have a, just a little bit of a discussion around what this looks like on the road, where the rubber meets the road. I've even got some fancy stools. Look at this. Cool. Can we welcome Jackie? This is... Grab my iPad. Jackie, thanks so much for being willing to spend a little bit of... To bear all. Yeah, that's right, to bear all, to be open. Um, So Jackie, you're married to John... How many years have you guys been married for?
1: Uh, 30 this year.
0: Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and you
1: guys have kids? Yeah, we have two. One is here, so I have to be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and my husband isn't, so I do have a bit of free reign.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nah, cool. So Jackie, uh, over kind of the 30 years of your marriage, being a wife, what, uh, what, is, yeah, what does submission look like for you? as a mm-hmm.
1: Well, I guess there's stages uh, through married life. The first little while is a huge adjustment, as you young marrieds will know. And I, I had no idea how selfish I was until I got married. <laughs> um, and I realized that I had some pretty yucky stuff in here. And a lot of the times it, it, didn't, it didn't necessarily come out my mouth, but there's a lot of stuff going on in the heart. Uh, and I know a lot of you guys will relate to that. You, you, you ladies will relate to that. Um, so I guess there's a lot of things that need to be dealt with. I knew I had a great role model at, as a, of a mum who uh, lived a godly, submissive role as wife, which was uh, an awesome head start into marriage. Um, but also it's figuring out how things work along the way. I knew what God's Word said about the role of a wife. I knew what you are teaching about. I knew it on paper. I knew the theory. But the reality... Um, when you get into those moments, is a lot harder. Yeah. Um, and I think a big part of why it's hard is what you're saying about what the world says is good. And uh, it's all about my rights and, um, and being seen as not lesser than. And that's somehow the message that's sent out there, that the wife, when she submits to her husband, is, is opting for a lesser than role. Yeah. Well, so um, your yeah, early marriage was a bit of an adjustment are those that first while and you've got parenting then you've got family decisions then you've got finances then you've got farming farming's kind of the big moment where we're in now um, because our kids have left home so a lot of the conflict of all of those stresses and stuff of earlier marriage have gone so in a way it's easier now Mm. to be submissive and I don't know kind of whether that's easier because I had a lot of practice or easier because the conflict isn't the same as it was um, but it's still insane that it's easier it's still hard because submitting is dying to self and it always hurts <laughs> you know, it's not just the girls that do it it's also the guys that do it so I guess it's good too to take the spotlight off about woe well, is me this is so hard for me actually it's a joint deal mm. we're both submitting we're mm. both I mean, you guys have got the job of sacrificing. We, we get to submit, you guys get to die. So <laughs> technically it's harder.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're not at that part yeah. yet in the talk, so yeah, get ready yeah. for that. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess that's, that's a little bit of how it play, has played out for me. I haven't given you anything really too specific. Um, maybe something a little specific for me is that I don't, my husband, those of you that know him, he's quite a soft-hearted guy. Um, So I don't have any struggles with the abuse of the authority, but I probably did earlier on more so have struggles with wanting him to be my authority. Um, And some of you wives will understand that's also a frustration when you want your husband to lead. I mean, we're both indecisive creatures, John and I. And sometimes making a decision, I just sometimes say to him, you're the guy, come on. It's so what you do, um, and that would be a frustration for me. And he would be wanting to please me and say, Well, what do you think? What do you want? You know, I want to do what's, you know, and he would, yeah. so that, that's a frustration that maybe doesn't get mentioned much. But some, some wives, that's a big deal. You, you want your husband to stand up, and the poor guy, when he does stand up, you know, I oh, shouldn't like that.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's
1: sort of you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Yeah, a little yeah, bit, yeah, yeah. You guys, you've
0: got it tough, haven't you? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what was some of the? I'm gonna ask this, it's a slightly different question. If not, oh no. Uh, what what was the the difficulty in trying to work out? Like you didn't naturally feel like submission was mm-hmm. awesome. Um. What has it changed?
1: Um, I think the truth of it is getting in more. Yeah. And I get the big picture. Like, it's the struggle between what the truth is and how I feel about applying that truth. Yeah. And the truth is, this is God's best for me. Yeah. I get that. I do understand that. This is God's best for our marriage. And um, this is something that, if I get this right, we do better. Mm. Um, So I understand that more now as I'm getting older, and I guess have had a lot of right. failure along the way and done yeah. get a lot, got a lot wrong um, I get it more now yeah. um, does that kind of answer your yeah, question? Yeah, no,
0: that's helpful um, would, do you have any sort of encouragements or advice for um, wives that are I guess particularly finding this passage or what what Paul is calling here for wives to do really difficult? Do you have any, yeah. any words there?
1: yeah um, firstly um Generally, the first thing that comes into your mind in a moment of conflict is not the right one. And you generally have to kill that, put it to death, and move on to option two or three or four, which is the right ones generally down the track. So that's a little bit of advice. Uh, Don't blurt out what first comes into your mind. It's not often helpful. Secondly, um, to to stay in your lane. Um, I think... God has given us a lane as wives. That's to submit to our husbands. And, and I think we have a real responsibility to stay in that. And it's so, so tempting to at different moments get out of our lane and, say, and get into his lane and say, Hey, buddy, you're really not doing great right now. Um, you're supposed to be loving me and you're sacrificing yourself for me and you're supposed to be um, doing whatever it is to make my life great and you're not doing that. If I do that, if I get out of there and no one wins, it never goes anywhere good. Mm-hmm. And so I have to concentrate and be focused and staying in my lane, which is submitting to him, honoring him, being respectful of him, and what you were saying, that quote you put up about making, you know, making him great. That's what my job actually is. And, and also another piece of advice, don't wait till he deserves it, because um, that might be a while. A very because <laughs> it 's not about that either yeah it 's not about only respecting when you feel he 's in a good place to to have your respect, yeah. um, I mean again, Christ is our example, yeah, you know he didn't he doesn't wait till we deserve it Mm. he gave himself for us
0: yeah
1: um, yeah, I love that you're bringing out so much about Christ because he 's our go to mm. and the Godhead is our go to look at the three of them, yeah, they get on pretty well, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And one of them submitted himself even to the point of death. Yeah. So, I um, mean, yeah. we've got pretty good role models.
0: Yeah, that's right. Do you, do you reckon that um, over your kind of 30 years and those, those early years of <clears throat> working it out and just rough, um, you've grown to see the different roles as, as beautiful? Yes.
1: Yes, very much so. And I can see that when I do get it right, he, he more often gets it right too, like yeah. it's a, and when he gets it right, I get it right, like it, yeah. it really is a yeah. Can you hold yeah. this for a sec? I just want to use my hands. Yeah. yeah. Um, kinda like marriage, I was thinking this just yesterday, so again you didn't know about this. No, um, it's right back at you. Um,
0: <laughs> we'll talk about that
1: <laughs> Marriage is kinda like a husband and wife coming together like that and, and that's all very great. But when that goes forward, it's kinda of like, can be like a three legged race which is really ungainly and a bit messy. But the way God seemed to design it was that the wife should do this and come under and then just using a rugby term, that's kinda of like a truck and trailer. Yeah? Which is way more effective than a ungainly, three three legged. And that's also kinda of like the father and the son as well when Christ came. They did that too. Like I kind of get that God's got a plan. And then I also went a bit further and wondered, hey, I wonder if God sees it like that. <laughs> you know, we kind of see that. That's the world. O- outside these walls, it's screaming. That's sick and fiddle. Who wants that? No one wants that. Mm. It's not the place anybody wants to be, but I, I kind of wonder if God sees it like that. Yeah. You honor me. You're equal. I love you both equally yeah. when you get your jobs right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's a yeah. really, really helpful right? And I think, um, you know, what you were saying about the the God here is really helpful because Jesus is all the way through this. Jesus is um, no less God because he's the son and the spirit is no less God because he's the spirit, but all of them work in, in really beautiful partnership, knowing their roles. Um, and I mean, we see all the scripture Jesus submitted to the father willingly. Hey, eh? um, That's so good. Hey, can I pray I want to, just, I want to pray for you, for you and John and thank you for being willing to be open I just want to pray as well for marriages and, and for lives Father we thank you so much um, for the gift of marriage that you have made us men and women that we can work together and that we uh, reflect um, really the, the unity within yourself and the Trinity and also with Jesus and the church Father I pray for our marriages I pray that you would strengthen them I pray for the wives in our, in our congregation that you would just help them to know your love uh, that you are for them. I pray that, that you would help uh, us as we work out these roles and how they play out uh, to honor you. father I thank you for Jackie and um, just her love for you. I think for John and Jackie's marriage. I pray that you would bless it, keep them close to you. Um, pointing uh, their eyes towards your son, and I pray that in their marriage they would be a great arrow and pointer towards Jesus and the church, and it would be obvious to all, the, all those around them. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks, Jackie. Can we thank Jackie? Things we're going to look at next with husbands, but um, just was brought out really well by Jackie. Is the idea, and we kind of, we kind of got that as I put that definition up for um, the goal for the, the role of the wife is that as, as a husband and a wife keep in their lanes they encourage and, and, and sort of blossom, one another blossoms into the roles that God has had them, uh, has, wants them to be in, um, which is awesome. Cool, well, look, we're going to keep moving on <clears throat> to husbands. Uh, And Jackie set it up well. get excited. On the edges of your seats. Uh, Chapter 5, verses 25 to 33. Let's read it together really quickly. Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Husbands, we are called to love sacrificially, to love sacrificially and to take responsibility of the family as the head. And so the goal for husbands that I've tried to come up with is this. A husband should or would give himself for his wife to develop and to spur her on to fulfill her role and potential under God. Now notice the similarity here between the goal of the role of the husband and the goal of the role of the wife, right? It's similar to what Jeffy was talking about. I do my role and my wife Abby, she does her role, and together we together, kind of blossom into the roles that God would have for us as we grow into the men and women that God wants us to be. And so my focus is her, and her focus is me. It's interesting to note um, that we as husbands actually have the largest section in this passage. We have more verses devoted to husbands than for wives and children, parents, slaves and masters. And I think there's two reasons for it. One, we have a massive task. I mean, as I've been preparing for this talk, I have just felt the weight of what God calls us husbands to be in the home. It is a huge task. But I think, I wonder if the second reason why husbands get such a large uh, section in this passage is because often, and this is a generalization, okay, and I get this, but I think often our wives struggle because we're not fulfilling our role. Now, it's not going to be the case everywhere. There are some fantastic husbands. I know that. But I I, I just wonder across the spread, right, if often our wives struggle because we as husbands are not fulfilling our role. And so Paul gives... um, Two ways in which husbands are to love their wives. The first is in verses 25 to 27, and he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And so the idea here is that husbands are, are loving their wives in a way that is characterized by care and by sacrifice. And it's really interesting that Paul goes into so much detail to show how Jesus sacrificially loved the church, right? I mean, Jesus says that he loved, that he gave himself up for, and that he made her holy and cleansed and presented the church before God. I mean, Paul could have just said that Jesus uh, loved, sacrificed himself so that he would save her, his church, right? But he goes into detail of what uh, is involved. And I think the reason he does that is because Paul wants to show Christ's care for the church, from their past to their French, uh, from the past to the present to the future eternity. Paul wants to show that Jesus had a perspective in his care and his sacrificial love for his bride, his church. He had the whole picture in mind. It's not just today and then kind of tomorrow, but he's thinking eternity. From the past to the present to the eternity. And the present. Right, was uh, was affected by the eternal goal of being able to present the church holy and blameless. And this particularly rocked me this week, as I was looking at this and kind of just understanding. I think what Paul is getting across here. Here's the application: a husband's love and sex. Sorry, a husband's love and self-sacrifice isn't to be idle. And it isn't to be surface level, it's to be purposeful. A husband's love and self-sacrifice isn't to be idle or surface level, but to be purposeful. We should sacrifice for her good and for her growth in the Lord. And our goal is that she would be built up to mature into the woman that God would have her to be. And so the word really is intentional. It's intentional loving, caring, and sacrifice. And I don't know if you, if you feel this, but this is actually the opposite, I find, when I'm trying to be sacrificial to Abby and, and love her sacrificially. It's the opposite to my motives, right? You see, if I sacrificially love Abby, I do something, I don't know, maybe the dishes or something, right? Often that can come in, uh, I can find myself that my motives are selfish, Right? Well, I can bring that up next time we have an argument. Yeah? Maybe it's pride. Well, I'm doing a better job at my role than she's doing at her role. There's powerhouses in, right? So I use the word intimacy. If I do the dishes and I know love languages, then maybe that will result to something later on, right? That is not having an eternal perspective on my self-love and sacrifice, right? If that is it, if that's the motivation for me to lovingly sacrifice myself for my wife, our eyes are down here and we haven't seen what our role is to be. And I think this is what Paul is trying to draw out. We need to have eternity in mind. And so one of the things I did this week was I asked myself a question. I want, I'd love you as husbands to ask this yourself. How is your, sorry, how is your wife's spiritual life going? How's your wife going? How is her spiritual life going? I found myself going, when was the last time I kind of thought about that? That is the level of care and and responsibility that Paul is saying husbands are to have, right? We are called as husbands to ask that question in a way that our wives are just not held responsible to ask that question for us. That's the perspective we need to have. Is she finding it a joy to fulfill her role? That's a massive question. Is my wife finding it a joy fulfilling her role with me as her husband? What Paul is also showing from this first little section uh, is that the kind of leading and loving that we're called to do as husbands has no room for dominating or bullish tyrants. You see, biblical authority is about responsibility, not tyranny. And so I think it's, it's right to have a little word here just about abuse. And I know it's a real sensitive topic, and I'm going to limit it just to this part here, but I want to make it really clear there is nowhere in our role as husbands where abuse is condoned or acceptable, or there can be any excuse for. Abuse is evil. And unfortunately, this verse has been used at times throughout history to condone or or justify abuse, or even to control victims. There is no place in this passage for abuse. In fact, it is the complete opposite to what Paul is talking about here. Submission is not grin and bear it, it's not silent and obey. And so I want to say to wives, to children, and to employees, abuse in all forms is evil. And if there is any of that going on in your life, can I really encourage you to seek help? Chat to someone that you trust, speak to a pastor, Uh, speak to the authorities. Nowhere in the Bible is abuse acceptable. I'm going to move on. If our goal is for our wives to flourish, then the way that we lead needs to make it easy for them to follow. Second uh, reason that Paul gave. So the first one was we love because Christ loved the church. Secondly, Paul says, how do we love as husbands? Well, we love our wives as we love ourselves. This is in verse 28 to 30. And the idea is that we nourish and we cherish our wives as we do our own bodies. And this is different from the motivation that Paul was talking about before as far as Christ and the church. You see, that was talking about intentionality, right? Uh, Care, responsibility. I think what Paul is getting at here guards us against selfishness and neglect. No one hates their own body, but they feed it and they care for it. If we love our wives, then we love ourselves. Um, Brad was doing the equip sessions um, on marriage and there was uh, an analogy that he used that's really stuck with me and it's um, it's the idea about um, two kingdoms. So when a a couple get married, um, they bring to the marriage two kingdoms. So I've got my kingdom and I'm the king of this kingdom under Jesus, right? But I've got my dreams and my hopes and my hobbies and everything I want to do and achieve. And my wife comes with the exact same sort of kingdom, right? And what happens at the beginning is that we get married and the two kind of kingdoms uh, start moving forward and then they start to kind of clash and bump and and, 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 and press press against each other. But the idea with marriage is that actually we let go of those two kingdoms and we build a new kingdom together as one. Husbands, we should be the first person to let go of that kingdom. We should lead that way selfless. When I thought of an example of uh, a husband who um, kind of exemplified this, I actually thought of my dad. Now, my dad is not a perfect man, and he's not a perfect husband or father, and he knows that, and I'm sure my mum would testify to that as well. But as a kid, when when I was prepping this and I was trying to think of, of an example here, my mind went to my dad. You see, he would go out of his way to serve and love Mom and us kids, knowing that it would be difficult and inconvenient and maybe even painful for him later. Dad's self-employed. Uh, he's a travel agent, and so uh, he's, he had, had, had an uh, element of flexibility. He could kind of you know, move things around to make it to prize-givings or, or, or stuff like that. Dad would say yes to things for us kids and for mom knowing that he'd have to work late after everyone was in bed he was happy to silently give up something for us he was happy to give up comfort and fun so that we could have it he loves mom as he loves himself and he has faults I know that but I tell you what as a kid that's what I remember I remember that about that That's where my, my head goes. You see, if our marriages are supposed to point towards Jesus and his relationship with the church, then the question has to be asked, husbands, what is your role pointing to? And at the same time, wives, what is your role pointing to? One of the things Abby and I found helpful that someone suggested to us is um, is spending some time regularly Uh, whether it's like once a month, once every two weeks, and we we spend maybe an hour, an hour and a half, and we sit down together, sometimes it's not like a date night, and we ask each other a question. And I ask Abby, have you been feeling loved lately? And then she'll ask me, have I been feeling respected lately? We sort of tweaked it a bit, and and we kind of added to that where we can say why we might not be feeling loved or respected. And very quickly I was like, I think we just need to limit it to one thing. Because I, I, I can't go away working on that many things at once. I'll just not work on anything. And so Abby has to, like, prioritize all the things. But man, it's helpful to ask. And it's actually really hard to ask. Have you been feeling loved? Have you been feeling respected? Here's the thing. Both roles are painful, right? This is a difficult thing for us to work out because it involves selfless self-giving. And so we need to expect that it won't be easy because the roles that we hold, right, are held by sinners. And what Paul is asking here is a huge ask. And so if we try to do this on our own, then we are setting ourselves up for a mountain that we just can't climb. It's too hard. We can't do this without Jesus. Look at what marriage has become in a world without Jesus. It's almost... I can't, um, can't notice it. I've lost the word for it. We can only fulfill our roles in seeing Jesus lead the way for us. In seeing Jesus' submission and seeing His sacrificial love. We can only show our spouse what we have experienced in our relationship with Jesus. Man, we need a new heart. We need a new mind. We need His Spirit and His strength to help us here. But I think when we both do our roles Well, it can be a joy to submit and to sacrificially love, and it looks beautiful. All right, let's really quickly keep moving on to parents and children. Chapter uh, 6, verses 1 to 4. Paul keeps going. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's actually surprising that Paul directly speaks to children here. It's not very common in the Bible as you see it, but I think it shows uh, a couple of really interesting things. One, it shows value, that children are valued in the kingdom of God. And secondly, it actually shows that Paul was expecting that children would be listening and engaging with the reading of this letter in the church of Ephesus. Which is, yeah, I think it's helpful to think about. Children are called to obey. And there's three reasons for children to obey. I was going to ask kids, I was going to say, why should you obey your parents? I thinking, one of them might be like, I shouldn't. Yeah. So, um, three reasons for kids why children should obey their parents. Firstly, in, uh, in verse one, he says, because of nature. Obey your parents and the Lord, for it is right. Right? Part of our human nature is structured that children obey their parents and if you look at all cultures and society across the world, whether there's Christian influence or not, this is actually kind of held that children obey their parents there's something in our nature that calls for that secondly because of God's law Uh, Paul quotes from the Ten Commandments and it comes with a promise presuming that parents are actually teaching what is right and honoring to God God has delegated authority to parents. And so kids are called to obey, love, and respect. And lastly, they're to obey because of Jesus. Light under Jesus means obeying and honoring. And so when children obey their parents, they are obeying Jesus. And then Paul moves to looking at parents. Uh, And the way that we parent has a massive influence on our children. I'll tell you a real quick story. Um, Abby and I were having, as a family, we were having dinner, and Abby and I were having a a discussion, and we were disagreeing. It It wasn't like a massive argument or anything, but we were disagreeing about something. And there was a bit of a lull in the conversation, and Cece is sitting, she's two and a half years old, she's sitting in her seat, and she goes, Mommy, stop, Mommy. Mommy, you weren't listening to Daddy. Um... Maybe she said something like, you weren't listening to Jesus. You need to say sorry to Daddy. And I'm just sitting there being like, this is just the success of all successes in parenting. <laughs> this is amazing. And, um, and we both kind of realized, yeah, we probably do. And so Abby turned and, and, and she said sorry. And then Cece looks across the table and she goes, Daddy, you can't talk to Mommy like that. You need to say sorry. No have lied. It was It was amazing. And so we did. And I have no idea where that came from. But kids pick up stuff, right? And the way that we raise them has a huge influence on them. And what Paul says is our raising of children is to be characterized by self-control and by sensitivity. And there's two commands he gives parents. One, parents are the parent with self-control. We shouldn't be provoking our children to anger and frustration, right? We don't want our kids to be discouraged and resentful. What we want is to help them reach their potential under God. And so we need to hear and encourage and love them as we raise them with discipline for sure. But secondly, Paul says we're to raise them in the Lord. The primary responsibility for spiritual input in a child's life is their parents. Really important. You as parents will have the greatest influence on your, on your kid's life than anyone else. Grandparents have a huge part to play. School does. Youth group. All that sort of stuff. Absolutely. But nothing replaces the responsibility that you have, that I have, as parents. And so we should be asking uh, the question that I encourage husbands to ask. How is the spiritual life of my child going? And fathers, we need to be in that conversation. That can't just be a question that our wives are asking, but we need to be part of that question. How's the spiritual life of my kids going? You see, just as God has delegated authority to parents, also so also God has entrusted His children into parents' hands to raise and to grow. You see, I don't own my kids. They're God's. And He has entrusted them to me to raise and to bring up In the Lord. And so again, we need to have eternal goals, parenting with sensitivity and control, uh, that desires to see them flourished. And there's mutual submission in that, I think, as we have control. Lastly, let's have a look at verses 5 to 9 with masters and slaves. Verse 5, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but also as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slaves or free, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This seems really distant from us, but slavery was really a norm in the ancient world. It was thought that if you went into a town, there would be um, loads more slaves uh, to free citizens as far as a comparison uh, in that town. And there was a, a real mixture of experiences uh, amongst slavery, but generally it was really horrible. Uh, they were a possession, there was exploitation, abuse, poor living conditions. And it's interesting to note that nowhere in the Bible does uh, does the Bible kind of condone or approve of slavery, but it also doesn't actually call for its abolition? And so the issue with slavery is not the idea of servanthood, right? Servanthood where with, right? Jesus was a servant. And, 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 and Paul called himself a slave to Christ. The issue with slavery is one human being owning another human, making them subhuman, or, or treating them as subhuman. Slavery uh, in, the, in the traditional slave trade is evil. And there's lots of different theories for why the Bible doesn't call for the abolition of slavery, and we, we don't really have the time to go into that this morning, unfortunately. But I think there should be, amongst Christians, a little bit of a sense of um, shame in how long it took for the slave trade uh, to be uh, made illegal. Um, and I think as we look just here now, we need to look at it through this background. And we see, Paul, a spark of the gospel, right? And sort of the groundwork that is laid, probably, that leads to the uh, abolition of slavery later um, in history. And Paul's really countercultural here, right? I mean, he addresses slaves the same as as kids. Paul directly addresses slaves, which gives them value. And he gives three reminders to slaves and masters. And these are countercultural. Firstly, he said, masters and slaves, you are equal before the Lord in verse 9. You have the same master, and on the last day you will have the same judge. Secondly, masters and slaves are to expect justice from one another. Right? In verse 9, the masters have said, Treat your slaves in the same way. I think as yourself, is what he's getting at. And thirdly, there's a brotherhood. All throughout Ephesians, Paul has been talking about unity within the church. Whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, you are both part of God's people. You are. You are equally valued in God's kingdom. And so whether you're a slave or you're a master, you are equal. Galatians uh, 3. So in Christ Jesus, we are all children of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. We've talked about that. There's neither slave nor free. This is where we are. There's neither male or female. We're just looking at that. For so all are one in Christ Jesus. This isn't saying we take away those terms, but the point is is that we are all one. Uh, We are all equal before God, being his image bearers. And so the call for servants, for slaves, is to serve your master as if you're serving your heavenly father. Masters, you're called to not exploit your authority, but be fair and honest. And I think this translates really well for us in the workplace. Those three three reminders come through to the workplace. Equal, justice, and brotherhood. All throughout this passage, we've seen this idea of submission. And Jesus has been the example. He's the perfect image of submission. The king of the universe gave up his right, submitted to the Father, died for us to become a servant. And so the beauty of Jesus' submission is meant to be shown throughout our marriages, our parenting, and the way that we work all aspects of our lives are to point towards Jesus. Why don't we pray as we close? Father, we thank you for your uh, creativity as you made this world. The beauty of nature and the way that you uh, give us each breath and just sustain this world going round and round and round. We thank you for the way that you created us as men and women in your image. And I pray that... um, that you would help each of us as we think about whether it's the workplace or or, or being a child and obeying our parents um, or in our marriages, I pray that you would help us to take a good look at our own lives and our own hearts to see what our motivations are, to see what is um, driving us in the way that we relate to one another. Father, would you give us strong families in this church? Would you help us to have integrity in the community as we work? That we would be a beacon of light showing your greatness and your great design. And I pray that you would enable us through that. In Jesus' name, amen.